Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Superpowers Podcast. Our show is simple. Tell stories from the trenches, understand our guest journeys and what leads to their success. And ideally, we unearth their unique superpowers. Everyone has a superpower. What's yours? Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Superpowers Podcast. Um, we are here today with Heidi Browning Pearson, the Senior EVP and Chief Marketing Officer of the National Hockey League, the NHL. Heidi has had a very exciting career on her way to the NHL with stints both at agencies, Universal McCann, early on at MySpace. We got to know each other really well through that period, as well as her time at Pandora, which really led her to an opportunity at, at the NHL when they were building out their, their social marketing um, and marketing practice. And a lot of highlights in her life, both from TED Talks to most, most powerful women in sports. We could go on and on with the awards, but rather than do that, Heidi, why don't we just welcome you officially since we got a chance to say hello and great to see you. And you're in New York today, right? I'm in New York and it's such a delight to be here with you, Chris. I, I wish we were hanging out in person. Though. I know. I know. We're doing this over Zoom, but you know, we're going to find our time. Heidi and I just had a little time to sort of kind of map out our early uh, 2022 <laughs> planning, right? We'll see you in Vegas at least, right? All-Star exactly. Weekend and some other All-Star places. All-Star Weekend. Yeah. Yes. So Heidi, um, going to kind of go a little, a, a little sort of different direction here. You know, at the end of our show, obviously we're going to, you and I are going to kind of agree on your superpower, which will be really fun to, to kind of go through that discovery. But let's just start today with your, your role at the NHL. You've been there for five years. I remember when you were taking that position, what are you doing at the NHL? What does the NHL look like today? Talk a little bit about your responsibilities in this amazing organization and probably one of the, the cooler jobs that one will find out there. Oh, it's it's absolutely fantastic, and it is a, a privilege and an honor to be uh, the CMO here at the NHL. And when I first joined, it was our hundred year anniversary. So it's not too often that as a marketer, you get the opportunity to usher in the next generation of fans with a hundred year old brand. And so that's what really excited me. I, you know, I've got a long uh, career in digital and social and mobile and data. And so to bring all those skill sets that I've been building uh, over the course of my career to a hundred year old brand and try to help, you know, bring in an entirely new generation of fans. It was such an ex exciting and amazing opportunity. And I love every minute of it every day. What do you think are some of the career steps and places that you spent and people that you worked with that helped groom you for the opportunity for that phone call? Yeah, you know, I think that there's always somebody who took took a chance on me, right? So every uh, step that I've taken in my career has always been about really stepping into shoes that I, I either don't know anything about the topic or don't have any particular experience in it, but somebody believed in me because I had the marketing skills and the background and the knowledge and really the like the hunger to learn. And I think that's what's really done it. So like if you go back to the digital days, right? I'd been a marketing generalist for, for many, many years and met up with uh, a, a person who was starting a new digital agency in San Francisco, like back in the go-go days, <laughs> in the early days. And we had a wonderful lunch and he said, so, you know, do you want a job? And I was like, okay, that sounds great, but there's only one problem. I don't know anything about digital. And he's like, you know what? 
Nobody does. That's the best part. You know marketing and that's the most important thing. And so from that day on, I fell in love with digital. As you know, you've been with me on the journey. Mm -hmm. And every day you're always learning something new and testing and learning and measuring and growing as an individual, but also within your career. So he took a chance on me, you know, and then coming to the league, the commissioner took a chance on me because I have never worked in sports. And most people who work in sports move from, you know, team to team or league to league. And I, and it's a very small network of, of really cool, smart, amazing people, but I was not in that network. Right. And, you know, coming to the league, not knowing a lot about hockey, he took a huge chance on me to learn the product, learn the brand, but bring with me the skills and the knowledge that I have from all those years in the digital space clearly made a wise decision. And like I mentioned earlier, I remember the the timing of this this opportunity. I, I, I would think that the NHL and its sort of digital knowledge of digital, where it was digital, where it was on social, where, where the app was, I imagine, and, and maybe even just even understand its fan base was probably at a very different stage than where it is today. Anything that you can share on a macro and I'm sure, Heidi, five years has sort of gone by like this, but, you know, maybe whether it's a number or a stat or growth or geographic or fan base, anything that in your time there that you can that you can share for a guess in regards to sort of the growth of the NHL from the vantage of someone in marketing as a CMO. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are, our mission is really to grow our audiences, a global fan base, especially among young fans and more diverse and female fans. So we've got, you know, double digit growth numbers in a lot of those categories and are continuing to, you know, push forward on that. We, we recognize that we have a long way to go in terms of diversifying our fan base. The only way to get there is to start intentionally. So a lot of the work that we put into, you know, place, the foundation has been put into place over the last five years, and we're continuing to grow and find new audiences all over the world. Part of it is introducing new teams, right? So we started with, we added Las Vegas Golden Knights while I was here, and now the Seattle Kraken. The Kraken. uh, Unleash the Kraken. Unleash the Kraken. (laughs) And Vegas was a really pivotal team because if you think about it, Las Vegas is the global center of entertainment, right? Around the world. People come everywhere for an entertainment weekend. And if you think about hockey as a form of entertainment, that's an alternative to either gambling or the other kinds of shows that you have that were, or a plus an add-on to the gambling and the other shows. It's a, It brings into focus really the importance and the power of having a team in Vegas. We were the first sports team to be there. And it really has helped us grow globally, at least getting on the, you know, the global stage. We've also done a number of games like in China and in Europe to, again, to try to introduce our sport, you know, in China to people who may not have ever otherwise experienced it. And then in Europe to, you know, it's such a popular sport in the Nordics, as you know. I know, I know. Let's all the Finns out there. Let's go. Where's my boy Tuca? We got some amazing things. Yeah, you have so um, bringing the game to you know to Sweden and Finland is just you know such a, a fun experience because the the fans are so passionate and rabid over there. One thing that I I've observed is it, you know I feel like the NHL does an incredible job with the launch like with the with the marketing and the invitation to like sharing that these you know how these new teams are coming about and their draft picks and. The Golden Knights got so much attention. Yes, it's Las Vegas. And then they had an incredible season. 
Seattle, I, I mean, from mainstream, you know, media and press and ESPN and these different things. I don't know if it's just because the excitement of the franchise, the city that's starving for that team, but also there just seems to be some magic in regards to how these teams are, um, are created and the, you know, the, the, the drafts around them. And I don't know if it's, if it's exclusive to the NHL, you don't really see that many new franchises being sort of launched. I don't know if you have any thoughts or if you guys internally have had observations about why it's so exciting for your league. I think that, you know, Seattle's really interesting because if you were to build a, a playbook for how to launch a sports franchise, you would point directly to the Seattle Kraken. They started very early and very intentionally listening to their fans. Everything from input on the name to, you know, what what do they keep? You know, they refurbished an arena, kept the roof, raised the roof, built an arena underneath it. So it's a, you know, a little bit old and a whole lot of new. And it's that state-of-the-art arena, the best of the best that we have in our entire league. Uh, to set an example, the leadership there, Todd Lewicki, has been very uh, intentional about building a diverse workforce. So everyone he's chosen to work there comes from an amazing background and is a reflection of the world as we see today. And I think that's so key as we think about how do we grow our fan base, diversify our fan base. It has to start with, you know, who's working in our in our league and then extends to the fans and to the players, et cetera. You know, it's funny, Heidi, I always feel when you talk about sports franchise in any sports and you look at sort of top down and we won't, you know, drop a, you know, I, I could talk about my my love for the Patriots and what Kraft does there. But when, and you could talk about maybe some of the ones that have struggled, at, you know, the NFL, the Redskins, but it really starts with a top down mentality. The other thing comment, you know, in regards to Seattle, I when I think about places like that, I think about, you know, the a, a Green Bay Packers and again, another category where you have a really, you have an excited fan base that just doesn't have teams across the board, right? You don't have the big four. It's not New York City. It's not LA. So anyway, it's just great to see those. It's great to see those new franchises get off the ground. When you bring up the importance of diversity and, and gender, all that, as a, as a dad uh, coach here in Rye, New York, the one thing I'm always so pleased to see that my kids who are 10 and 8 that will grow up in, they don't see any distinction between boys and girls playing. There are girls playing, Heidi, that will kick their the boys' butts, right? Like, yeah. they'll kick their ass. They are so good. They're so feisty. And in, in that context, I see it. I live it every day. Awesome girl hockey players that start young because, you know, and I do see there's obviously so much potential to, to probably grow the sport beyond just gender. And I think it's such an important stake. I'd imagine that happens when you think of minority growth. It probably always a big component of it is probably that star athlete, I would imagine, right? That you kind of can look up to. I'm, I'm thinking of Tiger Woods and golf and things like that. But right. it's, a, it's great to see that it's something that the NHL is fostering. And we have 42 players of color in the league, which yeah. is a, a record number. And it's amazing. And and it's funny that you say, you know, in youth sport, you're seeing a lot of these young girls who are kicking butt on the point. <laughs> uh, that's one of our fastest growing areas is girls youth hockey. Yeah. And so it's so exciting to to hear that. You know, the, the trick is to try to keep them in hockey because yeah. it gets to be a certain age when, you know, 
for everybody, whether you're a boy or a girl, a lot of other factors come into life and interests come into life. So, but it's really important, we think, for, you know, helping develop your your skills as a human, right? What's teamwork like? What's perseverance and, and you know, strategy? Yes. How to win and how to lose and how to be a good person. Like, all of that happens as uh, part of playing sports. And so we hope to give that gift to as many kids as possible. I'd imagine a lot of kids p- perhaps stop playing hockey, boys and girls, to be clear when they experience their first body check and they're like, oh yeah, maybe, uh, maybe it's time to look at something else. What were some of the maybe challenges or obstacles that you faced that also has just really led you to be in the executive that you are today? So you could go back, you could peel back the onion five or 10 years, but was it opportunity? Was there ever any challenges being a female? Like what, did you have anything that you can recall, maybe a bump in the road from a career perspective that you just you know, that may have sort of developed who you are a little bit? You know, one of the things that I learned in the early days, back to MySpace days, let's let's go in the Wayback Machine. Hey, for those of you listening, there's this thing called MySpace that was before the Facebook and before Instagram. And there was a profile page. It wasn't as sort of robust, but it was a thing. And it was a fun fun time to be a part of it. Sorry, go ahead, Heidi. It, it, It was an incredible time. And it, and MySpace, I was there before Facebook became uncloaked and, you know, we were breaking double click. People were joining MySpace so fast. It was launching artists like Taylor Swift was discovered on MySpace. I mean, it was a cultural zeitgeist from around the world, right? And um, the lesson that I learned from that moment in time is to always be listening to your customers. I I call it the fans now and there was listeners at Pandora, but always listen because it takes a while for the actual data to meet up with consumer sentiment and attitudes. And the reason I share that story is that, you know, MySpace was growing so quickly and we were transforming really the rules of marketing for all brands, right? For the first time ever, you had, as a consumer, you had the power of creation because you had iPhones had just come out and flip videos were really popular then. So you could be a creator, but then you also had the power of distribution. You could build these like giant networks of people. They didn't have to be your direct friend. They could follow you just because they were interested in what you, or you shared a common interest with you. So you had the power of creation, the power of distribution at your fingertips. And then you had a voice and every brand learned some of them the hard way of the importance of listening to their consumers. And it slowly started to change the social contract between brands and consumers with the idea of if you don't listen and respond, your your customers are going to move on to someplace else. And Absolutely. So, yeah, which is true. So taking that note, we, you know, we started to study sort of the emergence of other social networks when we were at MySpace. And I remember one year we did a study and, you know, MySpace was first and Facebook was a distant second. Not very many people were doing it. And, you know, the world was changing really, really quickly. And then all the data we had, Nielsen and Comscore and all the data backed up, you know, frequent visits to MySpace, massive traffic growth, et cetera. Then one year later, we ran the same study and it completely reversed. Facebook uh, was number yeah. one, MySpace was behind. Yeah. And it was, it only took a year, but the consumer sentiment had actually started happening a little earlier before right. the numbers actually caught up. So, so we got the sentiment the next year and it had completely switched. And then after that, that's when, you know, sort of the, the hockey stick curve that was going up, there it is. the love and the ride started to <laughs> take the other direction. So I always 
think about that and you think about, you know, like moving on to Pandora and thinking about how amazing and transformational Pandora was is the power of personalization in music. And it drove, it changed a lot in the industry for sure. And it was the, you know, the the first and the leader for many, many, many years. But as the younger generation started to bring in and up, they sort of had a different mindset. It, they're not a set it and forget it kind of mindset. They want to listen to a specific song and want to hear what they want, you know, when they want, how they want, where they want. And that wasn't how Pandora was constructed. And so that was another moment where when you listen to that next generation of fans, how do you evolve your product to make sure that you're relevant down the road for when it's important. So that's why I'm here is to take the lessons of MySpace, take the lessons of Pandora, think about how do we listen to these young fans, think about what are the things that we need to introduce to our product, to our broadcast, to our marketing that is going to, you know, make sure that we, uh, you know, continue to have long and enduring relationships with our fans. What I think is so interesting too is you and, and and correct me if i got any of my facts here wrong but you know even from the time that we met you you were on the agency buy side which allowed you to see a lot of publishers media companies apps those that sold inventory right because you were working on behalf of a brand or a movie studio or whatnot so you got to see that side which probably force you to learn the supply side that was available and how that worked so there you have kind of that component but a lot of those mutual friends of ours stayed down that path, which is great. That's, you know, that, that, that's kind of the career path they went. But, you, but then with the shift to Pandora, you went to the, to the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing it firsthand from a consumer perspective. I, I would think that the combination of those two things, because you went into such a different role, allowed you to see kind of two different lenses that you're, you're speaking of here, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And that was actually the perfect combination of experiences for me, right? Because here at the league, we're about both the fan, the fan first and our whole, I consider my team as being the voice of the fan. And, and we're also, you know, we have a lot of partners and sponsorships. That's a big part of our business. So being able to service and take care of our partners at through the lens of the fans and how we're, you know, together growing uh, our audience and, and keeping them engaged and growing their engagement. That's a really critical piece of what we do. What have been some of the, have there been any maybe even obvious products, solutions, platforms, partnerships that you've been most, you and your team have been most excited about as relates to the growth of your, of the NHL and the fan base? That, that maybe you've done or you've tested and things will work and things haven't. But is there anything that you've been like, wow, like never really expected this partner or this investment to kind of have the level of payoff? And I'm sure you're, you're seeing that based on some level of metrics of growth or new fans. Anything? Yeah. Uh, that I'd say that they're like a like categories of areas where we've seen incredible incredible results, but also promise for the future that I think are going to be transformational for us. For example, the introduction of sports betting and all the work and the innovation that we had to go to get our puck and player tracking was incredible. Years and years in the making. Wow. No, it's, you know, it sounds simple on the surface. You put, you know, a tracker in the puck and you put something in a jersey and then you triangulate all the data there. <laughs> but when you start to think about hockey, 
you have to take into factor, you know, the temperature, that everything has to work perfectly with the temperature, with the speed and with the force. And that was where we, you know, went through multiple, multiple vendors trying to, you know, find the perfect puck that was, that weighed the same amount, that acted the same way so that it behaved exactly like uh, every other puck because, you know, our players are so skilled. They could tell with a, oh yeah. Yeah, you know, like a, a you know a hundredth of an extra yes. in there, they would know what that one is, <laughs> and so it took it took a lot of engineering um, feat to get there. But what that does is it unlocks all of this incredible data for sports betting, for enhancing our broadcast, for AR, for VR. It can even be translated into games, and so it is you know one of the most exciting areas and growth areas for us moving forward. The other area that is also, a, you know, a big growth opportunity for us is in, is all, you know, all the social media platforms and this kind of co-viewing where people are are watching a broadcast but participating in a chat and engaging with other technology vendors to enhance their experience or personalize their experience. We tested a number of those during the, you know, the pandemic when we couldn't have fans in the building. And you start to understand and learn what you can use that I think will help us unlock more and more audiences down the road and in the future because it does combine the best of technology with the best of the viewing experience. But we all know the best viewing experience is live at the game. Well, that's the funny thing about hockey, being a hockey player, loving hockey. It's one of those sports that, in my opinion, dominates any other sport when you're there. Yep. You know, maybe the NFL for me is a little bit more exciting at home, but like I, you know, and then playoffs. Like you can't, there's no, and even not hardcore hockey fans would agree that the playoff experience, but like it's the experience I, I, I think, I believe in being there versus not versus any other sport has the most dramatic difference. Do you agree with that? Disagree? Have you heard that? I don't know. Totally agree with it. In fact, we we have a program called the first timer program because we believe that if you get to a live game for it, just one time, you're hooked. You see it, you hear it, you feel it, you smell it. Like it's just amazing, yeah. and you're hooked. And so, so that's a huge, a huge part of it. And you know, it's funny that you say like the there, there's nothing like hockey playoffs, and and we agree with you. You when I first started, we did a lot of focus groups, especially multicultural focus groups, and young fans, Gen Z and millennials, to kind of think about what are the opportunities perceptions and barriers and we met a lot of people who are self-described playoff fans like they start watching the season when it becomes playoff so uh, my job is to see how can we get you to watch oh interesting in the regular yeah season and then how can we bring even more people into playoffs so you can start that cycle right well the other the other observation too i'm curious to get your reaction of a lot of things i see on on social namely instagram and those, you know, those those that are around hockey that are do, do not speak the the NHL sort of brand, but it could be like spitting chiclets from you know any of the barstool properties or Sauce Life or something where they did yeah. show these inc- like random people skating like on glass in mountains. Again, nothing connected to the NHL, but well, let me kind of pause there. What are your thoughts of sort of? these other properties that clearly get people excited about hockey, but it's not a sort of NHL kind of brand. Yeah, I I applaud them. Anybody and everybody who um, can get young people interested in hockey, I I think are doing a great, great 
service for our sport. You're right. Many of them are not on brand with what we can do, but that's okay, right? If we can't say it, I'd rather have the story be told or the, you know, the, the, the spit and chicklets is a perfect example where they share stories that we might not share from the shield, but they should be telling those stories. I love, I listen to that podcast because I learned something new by listening to that, but it's really important, you know, and now we've got new partners with ESPN and Bleacher Report. Bleacher launched a whole social channel called BR Open Ice. And again, it's like bringing and cross-pollinating culture with hockey and hockey with culture. And that's how we're going to grow our game. And we're, we're really, really excited about that. Heidi, one quick question in the re- in the sort of big rear view of your life. It could be your childhood or siblings, mom or dad, where you grew up. I, I would like you to share with our audience where you grew up, but just want to get a just a, one of my favorite questions is always to ask what little Heidi looked like. And if there was a, a side hustle or a passion, like what kind of kid were you in what town were you growing up in? So I grew up in Montana. I grew up in the big city of Montana, which is Great Falls. Which are you around are you eight. watching Yellowstone? I am not watching. I know I need to watch it. I have yeah. I'm not watching it. I okay. You probably don't. Ninety seconds when they shot the horse, point yeah. blank, and so I haven't gone back since then. Right. But, yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. I got gotcha. you. But I hear they shoot a lot of things, including people in that show. So uh, sounds like very- it's. I'm not taking anything away for your view and pleasure. It's Game of Thrones, essentially in Montana. But it's okay. It's, it's- so I, I'm. You know what? I'm going to get into it. Maybe during the, the holiday. Yeah. So I grew up in Great Balls, Montana, probably always been an overachiever all my life, right? So I was, you know, I'm not an athlete. I'm more of a mathlete than an athlete. You know, I I skied, but I was, you know, I played basketball, but I sucked and, you know, just did all kinds of things. I'm an only child. Oh, interesting. It's funny because my dad sent me a picture of me when I was in like dance class, you know, I must have been like seven years old. And I, I look pretty much the same as I do now, only a whole lot younger. <laughs> Amazing. That needs to be shared for, for viewing content. Yeah, I think um, it's on my Insta. I think I might have posted it on there. All right. I may have to so, find that. Pretty funny. Yeah. But yeah. And, you know, I had, you know, great parents and great grandparents. I, I did have the gift of having both of my grandparents all of my life. And I lucky. them also for being really amazing because, both of my grandmothers were like entrepreneurs in their own right. My grandmother in, you know, she lived in a small town uh, called Belt. She started the first real estate agency. And this is like back before women were even allowed to wear pants. You know what I mean? Like this is early days. And my other grandmother started this fantastic gift shop, which they sold and still exists today. But she figured out that if she had a gift shop, she could go shopping in Europe every year to, you know, get the newest and latest designs and like crystal and in Danish furniture and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So she really had it dialed to, you know, the travel and then the shopping and then, you know, transformed it into a really unique gift shop. So they were inspiration for me as well as my parents. And, you know, I just came from a pretty hard work- working normal, you know, middle-class family. Where do you get the, I'm not just saying this, and as we kind of have a, you know, a few more things to talk about, um, we have down in our kitchen, a, you know, kind of a poster about, you know, above the kitchen table, always be kind, right? This comes from my wife, always be nice, always be kind. You've always, not everyone is, not everyone is genuinely always nice. And I'm not going to let you off the hook with that being your superpower because you're so much more than that. But always have time, always nice, always, you know, you're incredibly humble. 
have you always been like that? Does that come from having two grandparents? Does it come from mom and dad? Does it come from Montana? Do you have any idea? I think it probably comes from Montana. Thank, thank you, first of all, for, for, for saying that, because I do make an effort to be kind to everyone. And, you know, we were talking about John Durham earlier, and that was one of his greatest gifts, too. He was a, such a kind person, whether he knew you or not, whether you're a friend or a stranger. And, you know, that's life is too short and you never know whose life you might touch and in what way you might touch it. And so I've always embraced that. And, you know, it, today, as a matter of fact, even, you know, I will always meet, I have so many friends who have daughters and they're, you know, either, you know, young girls or they're in college or they're just getting out and getting their jobs. I will always make time for the young, you know, girls and boys out there because you never know. I, I, I did this once at Pandora and, um, met with a girl and we had coffee. It was just 15 minutes. And years later, I was giving a talk on uh, stage and her dad came up to me. He's like, you probably don't you know, know me, but I just want to thank you. Um, you know, you met with my daughter and you, you know, completely inspired her. And it was just that 15 minutes. So great. And, you know, it was, and I find that not only is it, you know, awesome to be able to connect with and inspire these young people. But I always take something with me too. I always learn something from them. And that's what I think is so important about, you know, life is that it mentorship can go both ways. It doesn't always have to be the person that's in the top job that you, you know, find light from. You can, you know, find anyone that inspires you to be a better human, a better coworker, a better partner, whatever it may be. By the way, and and in, in saying all that, Heidi, it's also uh, it's the right thing to do. I, I I try my best as well. Let's be honest; it's also very hard because time is kind of our only commodity, right? It's very hard to do that, but it's it's also very commendable. Yeah, just to give you've always had a lot of grace and humility, as I've known you, and our peers and friends have known you. So, in sort of you know get into the superpowers part of the of the conversation, I'm curious to get your perspective. You know, when I I've been kind of like taking notes and thinking there's everything from sort of like a translator from old school to new school. You know, this could be media, this could be, you know, anything along those lines. I kind of have something in my head as it relates to, you know, w- what you're doing and where you came from. It, that's where I come with the translation piece. But I also think there's something interesting in regards to what you said a, a few minutes ago about not being an athlete and growing up in, in sports from an athlete perspective, because, you know, I'm sure you've heard this too. Sometimes from an executive perspective or in tech companies, and I remember this when I was running App Savvy, we were digital and apps online, as you know, and we'd hire someone from print. And the initial thinking was, well, that's crazy. But him or her don't have the experience in that respective trade, but they ended up being the ones that were like the employees favored and all that. So I don't, you have to help me unpack this a little bit. The fact that you were so fresh and so new and did not have the experience from the hiring perspective, that's perhaps that that could have been something that they one of the many things that they saw about you coming in with no preconceived this is how we did it here, and that's what we did the N- NBA. And I don't know, Heidi, like this is you're gonna have to help me here. Well, that was, you know, one of the early conversations with the commissioner was, you know, he said, you don't have to be a hockey fan to work here. He said, like, I've got a whole building filled with hockey fans. And sometimes you can't see what you can't see. And it's true, right? Like coming in as a new and casual fan in the beginning, I could see right away 
that we spent a lot of time catering to the avid fans and we conducted focus groups, which actually confirmed it, you know, outside of my observation. But hockey fans are like the coolest, most rabid, most, you know, fanatical fans that are you think? there. <laughs> I think, yeah, I know. But, but you know, they, they know the rules and the history and the tradition and their slang. And there's all of this stuff that's so wrapped up in that, that it can be intimidating um, to be on the outside to get in. And so that's where one of the early um, you know projects we did was to tap Snoop, who happens to be a huge hockey fan. And he did Hockey 101. And he did. He taught. He did a series on each of those slang, history, traditions, Stanley Cup. Oh, that's right. Kind of break it down and make it accessible. And what was really important for us too is to connect different cultures, music to sport, and sport to music, and young fans and old fans. Like Snoop, cross, you know, crosses generations, geographies, and so that was a really effective and memorable campaign for us that we still, you know, run every playoff season just because we know that's the season when a lot of new fans come in and they might want to, you know, skill up on their knowledge around the NHL. So. Heidi, I feel like you're, you know, along the lines of knowing your customer, it's something you said a lot of times and sprinkled through our conversation and what you've learned throughout your career. And certainly in the role that you have such an important role in the NHL and growing fans is, you know, listening. So along the lines of listening, knowing your customers, knowing your fans, customer user knowledge, that's what we're going to go with your superpower, Heidi. I would say customer knowledge and connector. That connector piece, whether it's connecting traditional to the modern or connecting the next generation Connect, see? what we're doing today, what work or whatever. Thank you. You just that's awesome. That's where we're gonna go with customer connector. Um this is great. Heidi, this is so much fun to have you on. Thanks for joining the show and sharing your experiences and and hopefully for listeners, no matter their background or skin color or gender, hopefully there's a lot here that someone can take with them for their own kind of career path. And yeah, if you see Heidi on the street, you may be able to get her for five minutes for a little insight and context. But Heidi, thanks for Thanks for joining. If you want to come to a game with me, just let me know. I mean, always happy to introduce people to the sport. Yes, yes. I will take you up on that. Best of luck with the second half of the season. We'll see you in early 22 for some hockey. And I'll continue my own midlife mission since I never made the NHL. But, you know, that's what I need to do. There's uh, there's still a chance. I, I, I <laughs> need some more emergency. emergency. There's not. But thank you, Heidi. Thanks so much, Heidi. Thank you, Chris. Have a nice holiday. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Superpowers Podcast Show, friends. Please be sure to check out superpowerspodcast.com or on Instagram, superpowerspod. Be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, like. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.